Blog Talk Radio. production of The Speculist. You can find us online at speculist.com or you can go straight to the blog at blog.speculist.com here on this program. And on our blog, we talk about the future. We talk about emerging technologies and emerging possibilities. We talk about a tomorrow that's coming very soon that we think we will all want to live to see. My name is Phil Bowermaster and with me in our virtual cyber studio is my co host, co-futurist, and co-blogger, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? You know, I'm, I'm super fantastic, but uh, I, I have to say I'm a little, I'm a little uh, wiped because uh, we were just talking about before the, before the program started, I've been, uh, I've been packing all weekend in, in, in preparation for a uh, big, uh, big move that uh, uh, the specky wife and I are going to be making next week. So uh, I'm going to be out of town all week on business, so we had to get our packing done uh, over the weekend, and it's... Uh, Quite a yeah, that yes. Uh, there's nothing more exhausting than packing, especially in a, in a in a house that you've been in for a number of years. You, you tend right. to get and, yeah. You, you know, things sort of settle into place. Yeah, and, exactly. You, know, you, you kind of spread out and get comfortable, and then it's time to uh, then it's time to pack it all up. And we have been here for ooh, um, almost eight years. So uh, yeah. almost seven years. So that, you know, that's that's a lot of time to spread out. That uh, that required. Packing it back in, and uh, yeah. that's what I've been doing today. So. Well, uh, you, you, uh, the house that you're in now is a lovely house. Um, I, I guess I should ask about the new house. Where, where are you? Y'all just uh, in the same area, or what's the plan? Yeah, we are. We're, we're staying right in the right in the same vicinity, not even changing zip codes. Um, still be in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, just a just a little further down the road. We got a place uh, actually a little bit up the hill. So that we we kind of have a view now, which which we never exactly had a view of Denver or or the mountains or, or any of that kind of thing, and it's a slightly slightly bigger place. So uh, we have room for a guest room and an office. I don't have to uh, I won't have to be doing my podcasting in the guest room anymore. It'll you know there, there'll be a uh, kind of a division of uh, of uh, a breakdown of place within the, within the house. So so you, you won't have to kick your guest out of their room in order to do this podcast. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> That's right. They can, you know, they can relax and, and stay where they are. Of course, they're welcome to stay now. They just need to be quiet. Um, <laughs> exactly. So tell your mom to be quiet. I know she's sitting over there in the corner while you uh, while we do the show. <laughs> so, exactly. Anyway, exactly. How about fun. you? How are you? How are you doing? Oh, it's been a good weekend. Been uh, been great. We've just kind of been taking it easy around here. But yeah, um, I, w- I wanted to get into uh, a little bit about uh, a couple of the, the posts that you had. Uh, mentioned uh had, had gotten uh, going earlier this week phil um and i i guess this is the uh our astounding science facts isn't it well you know uh, i tell you what before we before we leap into astounding science facts let's just uh give, give a heads up that we're going to talk a little bit of agi this week uh, artificial and ge- general intelligence because we're planning next week we're going to have uh, ben gertzel on the show from uh, novamente and in fact he and Bruce Klein and a, a bunch of luminaries from the uh, artificial intelligence world are at the first ever AGI conference, which is going on this weekend. We were hoping to get some audio from that. That, that, didn't, that didn't work out for us tonight. 
but, uh, but we will talk a little bit about AGI tonight, and we're looking forward next week uh, to, uh, to, to getting into uh, artificial general intelligence. Just wanted to kind of get that up there at the start, that that's, that's kind of our theme. But uh, having established that that's our theme, why don't we take a moment and listen to a few of what we like to call Astounding Science Facts. I'm still in awe of my own, uh, of my own intro there. I, I feel like uh, I thought I could never, I could never give anything quite astounding enough to, uh, to, to live up to that intro. But, uh, we're going to take a shot. I, I did a post called Miracle and Wonder. For those who read the blog, you're already familiar with this. But for those who aren't, um, I'll just uh, run, run you through the concept. I, I came upon this headline. It was an actual news headline. And it was so out of context. It was so bizarre seemingly uh, incredible, that I said, you know, that looks like something right out of the Weekly World News. Stephen, you remember the Weekly World News, or is that before your time? No, no, I, I remember it quite well. It was it was still active in the 90s, I believe. Um, it, I think so, yeah. It, it was one of the wilder of the tabloids, wasn't it? it if, uh, you know, it, it would not have been out of place uh, in the uh, Men in Black movie where he said, you know, Here, here's the hot sheets, you know. Yeah, that would yeah that would be like that was the weekly world news. official newspaper for uh, for the for the universe of Men in Black because the stories in there were just absolutely outrageous, just bizarre. You know, Bigfoot stole my wife. Um, yeah, I, I, there, there was one uh, alien in the Kennedy White House. You know, I, I remember that one well. Uh, ruined temples found on Mars. Yeah, and and well, what was the guy? Oh, the. Uh, uh, Jimmy Hoffa, right? There, there, was, there was this thing about, you know, whatever happened to Jimmy Hoffa? And it said, uh, Jimmy Hoffa's body found in Elvis's grave. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, you know, begs the question, now, where's Elvis? Well, he's still alive and well. <laughs> yeah, of course, Elvis would have been, you know, out doing his thing because uh, he never died, absolutely. And yeah. they had running stories on what Elvis was doing. In fact, if you wanted to keep up with what Elvis was doing, that's probably a uh, primary. Didn't they also have Bat Boy? Was was that the type of was Bat Boy? <laughs> he did have Bat Boy, yes, a series of stories on Bat Boy. Yeah. Uh, he, he was an unfortunate-looking kid. Uh, uh, yes, also, too bad. I, I believe those photos were highly retouched. I'd, I'd like to think they were. And, oh, come uh, on. You're so cynical, Phil. Uh, no, I mean, you know, to make him look better. You know? Oh, okay. <laughs> he looked more like a bat than those big. Yeah, you, you want to you want to clean up Bat Boy just a little bit. But anyway, so, so I came upon this I came upon this uh, this headline, and I thought, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this headline and I'm going to throw it in the middle of a bunch of Weekly World News headlines, and see if uh, the actual news headline sticks out, or if people would be able to tell the bizarre made-up news. I'm going to go ahead and call Weekly World News made-up news since this is. Uh, Astounding science facts and not tales of paranormal. Um, yeah. From from the actual news story. So so the headlines I listed were, seeing eye squirrels for blind dogs. One of my all time favorites, by the way, uh, unless that's the real one. Uh, blind man regains sight after doctors implant son's tooth in his eye. Groom freezes at nudist wedding. Severed leg hops 75 feet. Scientist invents reverse light bulb that makes room darker. And doctors reattach Siamese twins. So, out of those, Stephen, now you wrote that you had a uh, a three-way tie going. Is that right? Three-way tie. I I uh, I discounted the seeing eye squirrel for blind dogs. <laughs> I uh, I'm sorry. I, I just didn't see how that would work, and so I just kind of tossed that one. And then groom freezes at nudist wedding. Well, 
You know, I figure if it's a nudist wedding, you know, that they'd make sure it was in a warm climate. You know, it sounds like the sort of thing that might happen in Phoenix. You know, so it's not likely to like not likely to freeze to death. Uh, severed leg hops 75 feet. Well, maybe if it's a chicken leg, but uh, I just <laughs> that's a long way to go, though. Yeah, it's a yeah exactly. And so the ones I was left with, I, I said there's some possibility, uh, you know, that this could happen in this universe. Uh, blind man regains sight after doctors implant son's tooth in his eye. I was thinking, well, maybe somehow stem cells are involved. So maybe. And then uh, scientists invent reverse light bulb that makes room darker. Now, you know, is that could that be? I don't, you know, I, the truth is I don't know enough about light. To, you know, to you know, I'm not a physicist. I can't say whether or not that could be could, could happen. So you know, okay, let's let's keep that as a possibility. Doctors uh, reattach Siamese twins. Well, you know, if they had taken them apart and for some reason they you know one was about to die or something, and they thought, well, if we can put them back together briefly, maybe we can you know work something out where we can save them both or something. I could you know perhaps. So I, I went. With, I said I got a three-way tie. All of these sound bizarre, but those three are the ones that sound like they're 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 they possible. Could be true. Could be true. Plausible. Yeah. Well, actually, I think really the most plausible one has got to be groom freezes at nudist wedding. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> because that's like okay, a guy was naked and he froze to death. I mean, he, he can, yeah. That's like, why. Why after all did we start wearing clothes as a species to keep right. freezing in the last ice age? So yeah. Uh, <laughs> Okay. However, had that been it, it certainly wouldn't have been an astounding science fact. Um, Doctors reattaching Siamese twins would be. It would be a horrible, sad thing. And, you know, I would think that probably both of the – both of the twins' lives would have to be in danger because yeah. you would think that probably the risk of reattaching them would be that you might kill them both. So if, like, somehow yeah. they they were both about to die, they might try to. But that, that's just – anyway, that wasn't it. Um, and uh, the uh, reverse light bulb, I, I can see why you would want to go for that one just because that's such an intriguing idea. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, some kind of, like, light absorb light uh, yeah. magnet or something. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of pulling the light out of the room. It's a pretty cool idea. Uh, so, yeah, I, I went with those three. Um uh, uh, and uh, well, it turns out it is one of those three. You did get one of the three, and of course, the the one that turns out to be correct is the one we haven't mentioned. But that's the blind man regaining his sight after doctors implant the son's tooth in his eye. And it turns out that this is a fairly new but uh, becoming well uh, respected practice called osteoodonto keratoprosthesis, and. Uh, Basically, let me read just a little bit from the from the news story that I linked there. Uh, McNichols, this was the, this was the, the 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 man who was blind. His son Robert, 23, donated a tooth, its root, and part of his jaw for his father's surgery. McNichols' right eye socket was rebuilt, and a lens was inserted into a hole drilled in Robert's tooth. The procedure required two surgeries, lasting a total of 15 hours. So, a correspondence that you wouldn't expect but apparently that is actually there is that there's there's some physiological similarities between the structure of a tooth and the structure of an eye and in fact to the point that you can take a tooth drill a hole in it and rebuild part of the missing structure of an eye such that you can such that you can restore eyesight uh, to, to to someone who has lost their eyesight and in fact that is what happened this well this, you know if you're when you're you know if you're a parent and you're doing the toothberry thing Put those teeth away. Don't throw them out. Hang on to those teeth. Yeah, who teeth knows? Some potential usefulness. Yeah. Although it looks like uh, it looks like you can't use a dead tooth because they needed the root and also part of the guy's jaw 
in, in order to wow. actually make this uh, make this work. But uh, but, but still, uh, just a fairly um, amazing thing. So um, unexpected that that a tooth could lead to lead to fixing an eye. But that's uh, you know I guess that's what makes it an astounding science fact. And that leads us to our second astounding science fact, which was the discovery that the galaxy that we live in is actually twice the thickness that, that we thought it was. And this was um, a group of uh, scientists in, I believe it was uh, Sydney, Australia. Um, and they started crunching some existing numbers. They didn't actually have to go out and do new observations of the galaxy. They didn't have to go out and, um, and, and collect new measurements. What they did was they, they took a bunch of uh, a bunch of data that had already been collected well, on the Hubble involved and other like uh, telescopes or was already uh, absolutely you know all sorts of different instruments but but yeah the the bottom line is they took a a, a wide variety of measurements that had been uh, that had been uh, taken as to what the thickness of the of the Milky Way galaxy is and um, we're all agreed it's about a hundred thousand light years across um, but the thinking was it was about 6,000 light years thick, and now these uh, uh, this team is coming back and saying no. In fact, it's about 12,000 light years thick. And the way they figured that out, I, I think it's it's very interesting that they did that just by crunching numbers in a spreadsheet, by by, by taking existing data and honing it a little more closely than than had been done up to this point. But what they what they found was that you're you're going to get a more accurate reading. Um, a more accurate estimate of the thickness of the galaxy if you look at um, data points uh, that are measured from the middle. If you look for things that are sitting out on the outer plane, high above or high below, those are going to give you a much more realistic estimate as to what the thickness is. And from that, they were able to say, in fact, the entire galaxy is probably about twice as thick as we originally thought it was. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is very cool, and um, I'll tell you what. We'll go ahead and say, okay, well, that's our two. We're not going to do three this time. We've just got those two, so that does it for this edition of Astounding Science Facts. You know, but that story reminded me of uh, of something I'd heard before, uh, Phil. It was. Um, it was a kind of a breakdown of uh, information, you know, a description of information. It was called DIKW. Uh, had you DIKW. Ever... So what is that? Uh, well, what is that? Uh, well, you know, data is the simplest form of stuff. I mean, and information is the next step up from that. Knowledge is the next step up from that. That's the K in DIKW, and the and the W is wisdom. And uh, and so what these guys did is they took you know naked data and uh, created some knowledge uh, from it or, or at least some information the, uh, um, the the galaxy is twice as thick as we originally thought and it's 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 a pretty cool uh, you know uh, drawing information like that out of the data that's I thought that was pretty nifty I, I thought that was really cool too um, let, let me just say that uh, you're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're taking your calls this entire program tonight, so if you have a question for us or a comment on any of the topics we're talking about, you can call us at 347-215-8972.
and in fact, um, that was one, one of the things that um, that I said in the blog post about that story was it makes you wonder how many more discoveries there are uh, waiting to be made, not from going out and doing new research, but just from taking a closer look at data that uh, that, that that is already there. That's right. That's right. And you know, it, it, it's probably there's there's you know who knows how much uh, data we have available to us. We it, uh, data is relatively it's 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 cheap. It's a commodity now, and and so it's everywhere. Drawing the information out of it, it, it that's could be a whole new branch of science, and and you could and, and learn fascinating things that you know you would think that if somebody had told me that you know um, we you know we're going to find out that the uh, uh, that the the galaxy is twice as thick as we originally thought. And what would be involved in, in, in discovering that? I would have guessed, you know, well, you know, you need to launch a couple of space telescopes at least, and you know, do, you know, talk billions of dollars worth of uh, a big science. Well, it turns out that uh, you know we just had to look at what we already had. Yeah, you you would think that at least there, that it would require uh, a whole host of new observations, that that a bunch of new measurements would have to be made rather than that the answer was, was actually already sitting there in data that is already collected. Now, it should point out that they, the team is just getting to the point where they're publishing their results, and that might be disputed, and then there may be some discussion. But so far, their methodology appears to be sound, and uh, the initial uh, reception that they're getting is, uh, is, is, is a pretty positive one. So it makes you think, well, hey, maybe there's, maybe there's more to be discovered. Hey, you know, speaking of this breakdown from – data to information to knowledge to wisdom. You know, it occurs to me that when we do one of these podcasts, there's, there's a little bit of that going on, right? Because um, when, when, we're, when we're talking and we're uh, playing audio clips, um, that's actually just data in the computer, which is then, um, you know, being transferred out over into other people's, uh, over the Internet into other people's computers. They're listening to it, and that's becoming information, which hopefully then becomes knowledge for them. And... Uh, Hopefully they can benefit from not so much mine, but really your wisdom. <laughs> you know, the example I was going to use is, uh, you know, the words "the sun is hot." The separate words, that's data. Okay. Okay. Right. right. And you, but you put those you put those words together, and then you have some information. The sun is hot. Okay. And uh, you know that in knowledge, uh, that's you know you. Can, that's you know when you step outside and you feel it, and the wisdom is to put on sunscreen. Oh, I see. Okay. You know right. to, to act on the information and uh, and the knowledge and uh, and to do something to prevent getting hurt by the hot sun or something. So that's uh, that's my basic understanding of it. So so it could be a while before our need for wisdom as regards the thickness of the galaxy kicks in. Because I guess until we're actually traveling, it's. Yeah, we're not doing an awful lot. Yeah, we're not, we're not getting level right now. We're, we're we're pretty provincial. We stay pretty close, don't we, right now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> to the earth. Exactly. But, but the reason I brought up the analogy to the podcast is because I wanted to mention that uh, for, for those who are listening um, who have expressed curiosity and concern, we still don't know what happened to the program two weeks ago. And uh, that that remains not even data at this point. It's, uh, it's yeah. more like it's more like it's a memory. missing data. That's what it is. It's the missing data. Um, we have had one contact with um, uh, with Blog Talk Radio, and they 
told us we'd hear something back from them. Is that right? I mean, how was how was that left actually? What it was it was uh, you know uh, we will, we will get back to you and let you know. And uh, that was two weeks ago. So two weeks ago they said they would get back to us and let us know. And if uh, anyone, I'm going to take the initiative and get in, and try to get back in touch with them now. So yeah yeah let's let's ping them again. But meanwhile, if anyone from Blog Talk Radio is listening, hey, we're waiting. We'd <laughs> like to know what happened to our uh, program from two weeks ago. Um, we, we need to know if we need to have the guest back on uh, to talk about the same things again or if we can move on and, and have him on again to talk about new things. And um, it's, Just be good to know what happened, really. We're, you know, we're and if it's something, of, if something I did, I'd like to know what it was so I don't ever do it again. So, you know, yeah, I, you know. Well, hey, if it was something you did, I'd like to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, my position in this uh, show might be in question. So, uh, yeah. Right. Uh, anyway, right. He's starting out with me as always is PJ Manny. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that could be the new line. All right. But, but seriously, uh, if yeah, if we did something wrong, we want to know what we did wrong, and if not, uh, we want to. We just want to understand what happened. And of course, if there's some way we can get that program uh, up on uh, line, if the recording still exists, uh, we want to be able to share that with our readers because there was quite a bit of interest um, in that program not only for our usual listeners, but also for folks who are uh, associated with Lifeboat Foundation who, who were curious to see what, uh, what Philip Van Nederveld had to say. So we're hoping to hear something back on that. And maybe this week they'll come back with something, or Stephen, keep pinging them, and we'll, we'll, see what, uh, we'll see what develops. No doubt. So why don't we shift gears just a little bit, and let's talk about um, – I don't know if, we, if, if we're equipped to have a full – AGI discussion, and we didn't get our audio clips that we were looking for to have that conversation. But we did, we did a couple of subjects this week that I think tie into a discussion of artificial general intelligence. And the first of those um, that I want to talk about is the one about the cars of the future. Now, Stephen, you had linked to an article about cars of the future, and I, I think the the question that's on everybody's mind about cars of the future is when will we get to the point where the cars are driving themselves? And, uh, you know, I guess a related question for, for this discussion would be, would that be artificial general intelligence or would that just be a highly specialized um, silo of artificial intelligence but not general intelligence in your view? Well, um you know, it's 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 funny because uh, we have uh, moving goalposts for for artificial general intelligence. It seems like um, you know if, until until uh, a computer beat the uh, world's greatest human player uh, in chess. Um, you know, playing a great game of chess uh, was considered you know uh, you know a, a monumentally you know that that's uh, someone that's very intelligent does that and then. Uh, after that happened, all of a sudden the game of chess took, you know, the prestige of the game kind of took a little hit. And, not, and now and now it's just, you know, it's considered uh, kind of a, uh, a mechanistic thing almost. Well, but, it, the, the, the prestige of the game takes a hit because, ah, it's something that a machine can do. A mere machine can do it. Well, then so, well, so why, than why are we so impressed machine, anymore? Right. Rather than crediting the machine with saying, ah, now some piece of intelligence. And I wouldn't call playing chess general intelligence. No, but, it's, a, it's a highly specialized... But some piece of human intelligence now belongs to the machine world. Rather than saying, ah, machines are this much smarter, what do we do? We say, ah, chess is that much less impressive. Right? Yeah. That's, that's the, the direction that... that that's kind of... That tells a lot about us as a species, I think. 
But and and so I think that uh, you know right now since uh, we don't have cars that drive themselves at least outside of DARPA contests, um, you know it, it would it seems it would be a very impressive thing uh, for that to happen, and it would begin to look almost like general intelligence because it's not just following the rules of the road, you know when you drive, right, Phil? I mean. The, right. you know, the basic rules of the road, uh, you know, stop for a green light, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, I mean, stop for a red light, go at the green light, uh, watch, you know, uh, you know, come to a stop, full stop at the stop sign, make sure nobody's coming, pull out. But there's a lot of other things that you have to you have to keep in mind when you're driving. You know, you you got to think about the psychology of the other drivers around you. Sometimes, if somebody's coming up fast to a, a stop sign in front of you. Uh, you might you might get off your gas and uh, and wait and see if they're really going to stop for the stop sign. That's something right. you know uh, that you you know you kind of gain after having dr- driven a while. And um, you know I don't, I'm not it, that's it, so it it seems almost like it would have to be almost a general intelligence to uh, foresee some of the ways that people could act around you. Uh, you know, other drivers, human drivers, could act uh, and, and to anticipate what they're thinking and what they're doing, and maybe even spot. Oh, that guy looks like he might be. Uh, he might have had a few too many to drink, and since it is Friday night, maybe I should uh, be careful of this guy. You know, things like that that we know as drivers. That that's something that, in order to, for a machine to be as good as us behind the wheel, it's going to have to be able to do. So. It's a it, pretty impressive processing uh, capability if, when, if and when it happens. If and when it happens, uh, and, and I would say it's when, when it yeah. happens. The, I, I think so, too. I think it's going to happen. It's, and and uh, it's, it, DARPA certainly thinks it's going to happen uh, and, and because I, I think they're really pushing to have whole convoys with maybe one human driver. Um, you know, in one vehicle, uh, and, and the other, uh, and the others uh, just going along for the ride, and just, and and you can imagine why they would want to do that. When in in a, in a place like Iraq, where you've got road, roadside bombs, you know, if you've only got one human driver, then you're cutting the potential of casualties down. If you're moving right. a whole convoy through, you know, so. Absolutely, yeah. So certainly, um, major. Uh, assistance in driving, major and, and increasingly intelligent assistance in driving. Before we reach the point where the where the robots take over and and do the driving. In fact, in the chat room, Michael Darling has pointed out that the Lexus F has radar uh, guided cruise control. So so you've got uh, you know essentially this something similar to what pilots have with with autopilot now available in a car. Um, yeah. So, so you're, you're heading in that direction, but I think I think the point's well made that that's still a long way from um, from from the ability to react to almost an infinite. It would seem almost infinite number of possible situations that can occur while driving. Actually, it's not an infinite number; it's a finite number. But when you compare that, uh, what I'm going to call. Uh, configuration space, that set of possibilities to, say, chess, you know, it's, it's a huge difference in terms of the number of variables and factors that are, that, that are involved. So, so to scale from being able to win at chess to being able to win at <laughs> driving, whatever, you know, winning is, even the goal. Winning is not getting, getting in an accident, I bet. Yeah, it's getting there. Getting, getting there, there safely. Yeah. yeah, and getting there safe, yeah. You know, and, and 
fuel efficiently. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things you can throw into the mix, but ultimately, getting there safe is uh, is I guess winning for for driving. And to and to be able to consistently win that game, uh, you're you're going to be looking at a much much uh, higher bar for for intelligence. I have a, actually a, 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 a perspective on this. I, I'm I'm a personal injury attorney, but that's what I do. Um, and uh, my thought on this is that. It won't. It won't become a reality, um, and, and, and I'm talking about full. You know, click on uh, the uh, you know the the autopilot and uh, you know go to the back and mix a drink kind of thing. That's not going to be a reality until these machines are significantly better at keeping you out of an accident than you are yourself. And and I think the reason for that is just the liability exposure. You know, if 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 a if a system was not was not better, then I don't think that they could offer it as at least not in at least not in the United States in our climate. It cannot it cannot be offered as a full system. You know, for for uh, an autopilot system, it could not be offered until and unless it's actually better than you know a human driver. And what I mean by that is that you know once an accident happens, uh, you know. My, you know, my job as a plaintiff's lawyer is to try to find out, find who's to blame. Okay. Right. And um, if, if uh, you know, you know, Ford, said, you know, is able to show that, well, yeah, uh, uh, this autopilot, you know, it, 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 it was unable to avoid this particular accident, but, uh, you know, it's, it's because it was completely unavoidable for a human, and it had a human been at the wheel, that would have been unavoidable for them as well, and so. Um, you know, they, they'd have to be able to show that for them to be able to even offer it, and so. Yeah, in the chat room, uh, Michael says that um, avoiding injury or damage can't be the algorithm because you'd never leave the driveway. But in fact, that is the algorithm for us now. We always want to try to avoid injury. We want to try to avoid having an accident, and we do leave the driveway. Right. Um, well, we we have a. I mean, you know, we accept a certain level of risk. Right, when, and when we get out on the road, but we're not going. You know, we as a country. I, this is my belief as a plaintiff lawyer and in this profession. I don't believe that we as a country will accept an autopilot that is not better, not equal to, or better than than the best human drivers. It just we're not going to accept an increased risk like that. Now, what we may accept is is something less. You know, like. Uh, uh, something to start tapping your brakes if you get too close to the vehicle in front of you, things like that. Um, but I, I don't think that we would accept a full autopilot without uh, without data to show that it is actually equal to or better than the best drivers. Well, and I think how we would establish uh, that an autopilot was as good as or better than the best human driver, that would be a tricky thing to, to uh yeah, and, and it could be, you know, that some driving is, you know, I could see a machine being taught to be equal to or better than the best driver on the interstate a lot easier than the stop-and-go traffic of in-town. Um, you know, on the interstate, the, sometimes the, the biggest challenge for a human driver is to stay awake, you know, uh, not not to allow the the straight you know, interstate uh, to, to lull you to sleep. Well, I don't, you know, a machine would not have a problem with that. And so perhaps it could, you know the data could show that it, you know on an interstate uh, it can it can follow the rules of the road and and can be a better driver uh, uh, than a human. But even when you get in the stop and go traffic, when human experience and human reflexes might be superior, 
then it would not be illegal to engage it in that kind of traffic. Right. Right. Yeah. So so it, it would be a, it would be a pretty complicated algorithm to figure out, and it, what it would require is surfacing the fact that that we already allow for the fact that a certain number of injuries and deaths will occur right. based on the infrastructure that we have. That's right. We have we have, we accept as a society a certain a certain number of highway deaths every year, and we just. But you know we won't we won't go further than that. I don't think. Right, and not, and not, not to Michael's point. If we were trying to drive that number to zero, it, it yeah. would never happen. That's and right, that's and we're we're, we're never going to see that, that number at zero. Um, you know, even if we start driving, even if we start being driven around by robots, um, I, I, you know, I, I think that there you will still see some fatalities on the highway. Yeah, well, it especially just, if the robots get mad or go nuts or something. Like <laughs> that's that. right, no doubt. This is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Phil Bowermaster and Stephen Gordon were talking about artificial general intelligence. If you have a question for us or a comment on any of the topics we're talking about this evening, you can reach us at 347-215-8972. Now, speaking of robots going nuts and um, and becoming unreliable with the, with the power that we've placed in their hands, another story that you linked this week uh, and, and wrote a little bit about was uh, battle robots, robots that... Uh, that are used in uh, in a military setting. What, tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, it should be noted that so far we've not had any robots go nuts. Uh, <laughs> so far. So far. Um, uh, there was an accident, I understand, with a robot. It was not a U.S.-made robot. It was, I don't know, maybe it was Australian or something. At uh, any rate, um, where uh, it, it started firing, and uh, I, I guess I should find that story and, uh, and put it in the show notes. I don't have it in front of me now. Um, there was an accident with one, but this, um, I don't think it could be argued that the, the that it went nuts. Um, anyway, the, uh, what brought this up was a, a professor, a Sheffield professor, Noel Sharkey, uh, recently you know stated he's got some concerns about the armed military robots uh, that are being deployed more and more. Um, he says that as they as AI grows in power, as it becomes uh, able to do more and more things, that we're going to be tempted to take humans out of the loop. Well, of course, right now the robots that we have um, that are deployed in Iraq are just basically remote control toys in a way. You know, I mean, uh, you know, you, you control them uh, completely. They don't have any, uh, there's no, uh, you know, AI involved in it. Uh, it's just uh, uh, some, some person uh, controlling it and, uh, if necessary, taking a shot with them. My understanding is uh, they, uh, they've not; uh, these robots have not yet shot anyone in uh, in Iraq, but, uh, which is interesting, I think. Uh, but it it's uh, they're, they're certainly armed and ready to shoot somebody, I guess. So we've got we've got armed robots out there that could be shooting at people, but so far haven't. So far haven't. So that's very interesting. I wonder what the uh, what the politics around that decision is. When 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 do the robots? When can you pull? Yeah. When can you pull the trigger remotely? I guess you you need to be sure because it's going it's going to be a news story I suppose when uh, when the first uh, uh, robot takes a life uh, in, in in Iraq and now of course we um, we have had uh, uh, these uh, aerial drones um, uh, unmanned aerial drones so that have uh, that have taken lives uh, uh, already um, uh, specifically in Yemen once uh, here a few years ago they took off uh, took out a carload of terrorists so. Uh, so it's already happened. It just hadn't happened with these ground-based uh, units yet. They're called Swords S W R 
DS is the unit that's uh, used the most in Iraq at this point. But right. I mean, now, it, uh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that I, I, I um, you know, I, I'm not as um, down on these robots as uh, Noel Sharkey is. I, I think that there's there's definitely a place for them. One of the, one of his concerns is that uh, you know terrorists could capture one of these units and reverse engineer it, and all of a sudden, you know, we've got uh, the other side. You know, the, the terrorists have got these robots. I kind of I, I just doubt that doubt that very you know very seriously. I don't think that that would happen at all. Uh, it, it seems like that is a risk that uh, that we face with any weapon. Yeah. That that it, that it might fall into the wrong hands. There's a couple of possibilities here. One, if you're talking about something that that has to be uh, remotely controlled, um, it's possible that if one were stolen, there could be fail-safes built in such that it would just fry its own circuit board and become useless. Right. Um, or that it's just simply impossible without the appropriate uh, security clearances and codes and so forth that you would even be able to get in and, and, and make it do anything. Yeah, and if you wanted to you pull off parts or figure out how it works or whatever, it, it, I, my point in, in my post was there's a lot easier ways if you're a terrorist to make a remote control killing machine than uh, to try to reverse engineer a swords robot. Um, and I... I pointed to a, a, a remote control toy car. I, I, I really shouldn't call it a toy because uh, the people who uh, uh, compete with these things are, are usually grown-ups, and they're, um, it's not much of a toy when it's a, uh, a night. You know, it's got it, it's powered by nitrous and it goes 45 miles an hour. Um, but yeah, it's, we're, we're, I'm talking like a one-eighth size model car that's remote controlled. You get something like that, and you know some of them are four-wheel drive vehicles, you know, and you strap a bomb to it, then you know you, you've got a you could have a very serious uh, uh, weapon r- relatively cheaply. And so, I, I guess my point is. Yeah, so why got all the trouble of trying to reprogram a a swords robot? Yeah, if you're a terrorist, then you you know you're already uh, using. Uh, you know, you know, other devices to, you know, for your own means, like things like uh, cell phones. You know, you're attaching them to C4, and uh, you're calling in a, a, a bomb attack that way. Um, you know, those that's that's the way those guys operate. They take they take our toys and our uh, and our gadgets, and they uh, and they duct tape them together to make something you know uh, make something bad out of. That's the way they operate. They're not going to reverse engineer uh, a swords robot any more than they would reverse engineer. A, a fighter plane. It's right. just not. It's beyond their capabilities. Beyond. Um, and, and the mo- it, it just wouldn't be worth it from the money point of view for them. Yeah. You know, for them. Yeah, they do things on the cheap. Interesting yeah. comment from uh, from our friend Matt doing in the chat room. He says, um, "I think that within 30 years, uh, computers will be as much better drivers yeah. as they currently are uh, superior checker players to us now." Uh, and let's take that one step and say, well, will 30 years from now, will they be that much more efficient uh, in the field as weapons, or will that take another 40 or 50 years? But it raises the question that uh, I believe you answered in the negative, which is um, will we at some point see completely autonomous armed robots out in the field? Um, I didn't answer in the in negative the- exactly, Phil. What I, w- what I was saying there was that we need to be very, very careful about that. But I appreciated your response to that. Which was yeah, and and my response was well, I, we might have to if other people are right. If, right. If if the enemy is building robots that are autonomous, if the enemy is building robots that are going out uh, and and using uh, 
re responses and reflexes that are a million times faster than any human, that the only way we'd be able to fight those weapons would be with, with our own that, that, that we're doing the same. You would almost have to take humans out of the loop just to, just to remain competitive, at which point you've got a really scary arms race going on. Right. And uh, let's hope that, uh, that our robots stay on our side. And uh, don't <laughs> don't join up with the robots for the other side and decide that we're the real enemy. Yeah, uh, that's you know basically the plot of Terminator. You know. So. Well, it, it, it's interesting if you if you combine two very very different threats, and one was we talked about I don't know if it was last week or maybe a couple of weeks ago, but we talked about these um, uh, these these algorithms that are being developed for uh, hedge fund trading. That, yeah. That, the kinds of algorithms that currently have quants developing that uh, these very smart humans who, who know a lot of math, but that we, we will see in the near future uh, the um, uh, computer programs themselves will be developing the next generation of algorithms. And then we've got this, uh, this arms race uh, in its own right between the different financial institutions of uh, getting just these slightly faster, slightly better, uh, slightly broader view of what's happening in the market uh, in order to get an edge in, in terms of, you know, what you're buying, what you're selling, when you're doing it, the volumes, et cetera. Now, if, if you see that kind of um, arms race eventually going critical, which, which is possible, it's, it's possible that eventually uh, these uh, – these kind of recursive self-improving uh, artificial intelligences that are trying to to um, to solve financial problems hit this point of um, something approaching artificial general intelligence. And at the same time, you've got this uh, arms race going on where robots are becoming increasingly faster and increasingly smarter at finding other robots and killing them. I don't know. You, you marry those two things, and it does start to sound a little bit like the Terminator, doesn't it? Just a little bit. You know, my thought on that is that you have to have two major, um, uh, you know, uh, superpowers uh, basically at war with each other in a conventional sense um, for that to for for you to actually see that come about uh, that sort of arms race. Because again, the terrorists are not going to participate in that arms race. Um, yeah, they might. Right. You you would you would yeah you you would need. Um Conventional players, I think, uh, right. making making that happen. On the other hand, you and, and we really haven't seen a war like that since World War II. Um, I mean, we've had some proxy wars uh, with uh, uh, between the U.S. and the Soviet Union in those years. I mean, Vietnam to, and you know North Korea to some. Well, extent. I would I would disagree with that. I think that the biggest arms race we've seen in our lives occurred during the Cold War, not during World War II. And in fact, um, a, a similar situation, high tension situation, could potentially develop between, say, the U.S. and China, yep. which might lead to. Uh, uh, in fact, we've seen just in the last couple of weeks where China shot down one of their satellites, and then lo and behold, hey, we had to shoot down one of our satellites, and that kind of brought me back to the good old days of the Cold War when Russia would do something and we would do it, or we would do something and then and then Russia would do it. There's a little bit of an echo of that there. I, I'm, I'm not I'm not suggesting that that uh, we, we didn't need to shoot that satellite down, but it was an interesting timing that, that it occurred uh, shortly after China had done the same thing. Is it, would, it be, um, would it make it more acceptable to go to war if all that's fighting is machines? Um, I mean, you know, we, China, you know, uh, basically sends machines into, you know, I don't know, Alaska or someplace, and we, we meet their machines with our own machines. I mean, 
it's is our fingers off the off the nuclear button for example if if no one's dying we're just uh letting, letting our technology battle it out i don't know it's 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 uh it's an interesting question also i would think well the the big arguments that get raised against wars you know blood and treasure you've taken the blood out of the equation you just got treasure and now it's just treasure so i i would think that to a large extent, it, it would be it would be more acceptable. The, I think the fear would be that that firepower would be turned on civilian populations, or, right. or that somehow that, that that they would be hitting the the actual human personnel who are somewhere still in the loop. Right. You know, it's, it's hard to imagine that they're that they're completely uh, uh, that they're they're completely removed from the from the loop. Uh, Michael Darling comments that the casualty protections have stopped a lot of violence and and war and. One of the things that's been observed is that uh, wars seem to be getting less uh, destructive in terms of human life. Um, ever since World War II, the, the trend has been for wars to uh, last longer but to kill a lot fewer people, which is an interesting uh, 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 kind of end game for that trend might be to have robots fighting each other, and the wars would go on for centuries, but uh, but, but no human beings would die. Strange thought. Yeah, it is. I'm, t- I'm not sure I would like that war any either, though. You know, it's, well, uh, I don't know if there were that gun to Mecca. I got to say, it would be wicked cool to actually see it going on. I mean, if, uh, <laughs> if wars were five, five, five story tall uh, giant robots battling it out with each other. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, uh, you could, you know, you, what you do is you film that and you could broadcast it as entertainment both in China and in the U.S. and. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's right. And whoever gets the best ratings, you know, you, you fight your wars like it's uh, fight your wars like it's American Idol, and we can decide the wars by who gets voted off or something like that. You know? <laughs> that's right. The, the, the whole thing can become like a big reality show. I don't know. That, that, that seems like a yeah, and, and you know, and, and whoever's robot uh, wins, you know, well, we just we have it accepted in advance who's uh, what that means. You know, uh, if China's robot wins, then they they get some territory or something. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, whatever, we just have that negotiated in advance. So that's, anyway, right. Strange, though. Yeah, it's a thought. Well, listen, this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Uh, we'll be on for another 15 minutes or so. So if you have a burning question, you want to comment about Gundam Mecca or uh, Hedge Fund Arms Race, you can reach us at 347-215-8972. Uh, another comment that uh, Michael had made in the in the chat room was that, um, uh, he pointed out a few of the major players on the financial markets side. And what's interesting, just to swing that back around, you know, you pointed out, well, unless you have conventional players and a couple of big powers, you're probably not going to get this robot arms race. But there's no question that in the uh, financial services side, that, that, that definitely there are the big players, and they definitely are going for blood, uh, figuratively speaking. Right. Uh, uh, and and that, so that's that happening. Arm, it's happening already, isn't it? Yeah, that thing is actually going on. I mean, that, that's that's happening. I, if if I were uh, a betting man, um, and I don't count my poker playing as gambling, you understand that's a game of skill. But uh, <laughs> if, if if I were if I were a betting man, I, I would suggest that the that the likeliest commercial place that uh, that artificial general intelligence might come from would be from exactly there, from the financial markets. Uh, you know, people trying, about trying to get just a little bit of an edge on, on, <laughs> exactly. what, on where the market's going next. Yeah, yeah, you know, because there is money driving that. Right. And there's a lot of money driving that, and there's a, a lot of money driving uh, people trying to find a way to get just a little more improvement and a little more improvement and a little more improvement. And it seems to me that that could could lead to something huge. 
and uh, not necessarily something all that um, welcome. Uh, I'm not sure that a uh, killer hedge fund uh, cut the yeah cutthroat you know a cutthroat hedge fund like that might not be the best place to uh, find a friendly AI. Exactly. I'm not sure how friendly an artificial general intelligence would be that sprang from those origins. I, I would I would worry about our future at that point if uh, if that in fact is uh, where it came from. Yeah. Going so back true. to our astounding science facts just for a moment, um, there was uh, there was an interesting comment from from Matt. Um, he linked us to a story. I don't know if you saw this in the chat room about um, uh, human regeneration of a finger. Okay. And I was just thinking, well, if uh, if I had heard that, uh, if, if Matt had gotten that, that one to me a little sooner, we could have had three rather than uh, two topics on the uh, um, on the astounding science fact. Basically, it says regrowing tingers, fingers, tissue regeneration technology already exists, and they actually have a picture here of what looks to me like a finger that's been just about, I don't know, completely cut off above the above the top joint. Mm-hmm. And they show a before and after photo, and the after photo is there's the finger; it's back again. So that's cool. Let me get you. Maybe we need to put this one out there as a bet. Um, uh, you know, maybe a gamble or whatever. Which comes first? And and these are basically mutually exclusive technologies, if you ask me. Which comes first? Um, the Luke Skywalker arm or hand, or the ability to just regrow whatever it is that we lose? Wow. Which comes first, and uh, you know if we, if we first. now and if we're if if we uh, uh, have the capability of regrowing uh, whatever we lose, I think that we would prefer that to uh, the fully realistic hand that Luke Skywalker got in the in that second movie. Well, I never got the impression that Luke could feel with that hand the way he could have uh, felt with his original uh, with his original arm, right? Yeah. So. Uh, you know, to the extent that it, it it was kind of you know clicky when it you know yeah. when he used it, it, it was kind of it was fully it was fully functional. I, you, you got the impression that he you know he it was it was every bit as useful as the other hand, right? But maybe it didn't you know he he didn't feel quite the same way with it, and uh, and the, yeah, it made it it made it an actual loss to him. I I, I got that impression too. But, but I mean, you look at it and it it looks perfectly real so and and that is something that uh, DARPA is pushing towards they, they they actually are calling it the Luke Skywalker project I, I'm disappointed that they're not calling it the Steve Austin project I have to say <laughs> for, for, for for those old enough to have any idea who that is um, th- thanks for listening and for those uh, everyone else uh, Steve Austin was the six million dollar man
We have the capability to make the world's first bionic man. Steve Austin will be that man. Better than he was before. Better. Stronger. Faster. Oh, it cut off. We didn't get the big payoff with the rest of the scene. Dome, 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 dome. Okay. I'm so impressed that you just had that ready to be played when I mentioned Steve Austin. It makes me want to say other obscure things. And see <laughs> just see what I have available over here. Huh? Yeah, that you're gonna that you're gonna click on. Um, that uh, yeah, that sums it up. That was the that was the TV show. I guess it ran probably '72 to the late '70s, something like that. Anyway, was it, it was that before, early? I guess so. Well, maybe. 72, 73, it was, it was pretty early, I think, yeah. Okay. I, I think so. Um, anyway, um, that, that, that was where a lot of us got our first look at that sort of thing. But apparently, uh, uh, apparently the Luke Skywalker arm is the one that's really caught people's imagination. So um, I, I, I think that, it, uh, that tells us the age of the guys that are working on the project. Yeah, well, it does, that they're younger than, uh, than me, for sure. Um, anyway, uh, Matt says that their team's trying for the Luke Skywalker prosthetics by 2010. That's so right, exactly. I would imagine that we won't have uh, entire uh, regenerated arms in the next, what, Three less years. than two years? Two years, so, two and a half, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm going to have to say that uh, I, would, I would bet, along with it looks like everybody in our chat room, that we'll have the Luke Skywalker bionics uh, I'm going to call them first. the Austin Bionics first. Yep. Well, I, I guess it, it, it's a matter of degree, you know, to what, it, it, how realistic, uh, how well does it work? Uh, does you know, is it better, stronger, faster, you know, or is it just, you know, does it look so, like a mannequin hand and has has a good deal more function than a regular prosthetic hand? But it's not, you know, it, you know, exactly how close is it to Luke Skywalker's hand? Exactly. So, yeah, and and and. What can you do with it besides, I mean, can you feel with it? I think that's that's an important question. Oh, our research department has come back that the regular series $6 million man ran from 1974 to 1978. I thought it was a little bit later than that. Well, that's the I was old series. enough to appreciate it, and you see, I was born in 69. But, well, that's the regular series, but before that it was part of something called the ABC Action Movie or ABC Action Pack or something like that, and there were $6 million man as a regular show before that 74 series, so I'm going to... I'm going to stick with now, it was, now, the original TV movie was like a TV movie based on a certain novel. Can you name that novel? The novel was called Cyborg, and the author <laughs> escapes me for the moment. But I bet you there's somebody in a chat room who knows who the author was. But. <laughs> yeah, well, I know our research department. They are yeah. research department. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, it's on the tip of my tongue, Cyborg by uh, – this is like that time we couldn't think of William Gibson. Uh, this is less embarrassing than that, though. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so that takes us to uh, our final topic of the evening, which so. is um, we, we did a little further um, look at Orion this week. I, I managed to find a, a really cool video of a TED Talk with um, George Dyson talking about Project Orion, which you had mentioned. Was it on last week's show? Or, uh, I don't it, know, it's a it's a know. it's a perennial topic. We we bring it up. Seems like about every fourth or fifth show we yeah. we bring up Project Orion because it's just so cool that you know that you know thirty years ago they were thinking about the the motto of the project was Saturn by seventy, 
and not 2070, but 1970. 1970. That's they right. thought that they could get to Saturn in a space in a big space, and not not you know not like old tin can like we sent to the moon. We're talking like a battleship with you know probably 50 or more people in it. And, a huge uh, nuclear bomb-powered uh, rocket to Saturn. It's just uh, it, it is such a retro-sounding uh, project, and you can imagine George Dyson as a kid who's, you know, hearing from his dad, you know, what are you working on? Well, we're getting ready to uh, build a spaceship to Saturn. Yeah. I mean, I, I can I can almost imagine having your dad say something cooler than that, but I can't quite imagine having your dad say <laughs> yeah. something. That, that and, and, and for him to be any, serious. Yeah, any dad has ever said, seriously said to their kid that uh, uh, that he was working on. So, so even though this was a top-secret Air Force project, was not a NASA project, NASA finally got their hands on it, is what we learned from watching the video. NASA finally got their hands on it and shut it down. But this top-secret Air Force project, George Dyson grows up and he's like, i got to find out what this was all about, and uh, manages to find out quite a bit of the, of the detail uh, of what was intended with, with Project Orion. The big surprise to me, the thing that uh, I just could not get my head around was that they intended to launch this craft from the surface of the Earth. That's right. That's right. They, <laughs> you know, I mean, now, I they were hoping to uh, be able to develop cleaner bombs. Yes. They were, that was we the hope. But, clean bombs. But, uh, you know, this was, again, Phil, this was like the 50s and early 60s, and, I mean, you know, they thought nothing of blowing things up, uh, you know, and, and, and the, you know, you know, blowing up a dozen uh, nuclear bombs uh, out in out in the deserts in Nevada. Why not just, uh, you know, for something as important as a spaceship to Saturn, you know, setting off a few nukes uh, in some remote place, not a big deal to them back then. It would be impossible to get that done now. I well, mean, it would, and maybe with good reason, I think. Uh, yeah. You know, probably launching all those nukes wasn't... Uh, uh, would not have been necessarily a great idea, but the, I, I still think that there's a possibility that the world may see a, a Orion spaceship launch from the, the surface of the Earth uh, at some point. Um, you know, what if uh, China decided that they wanted to leapfrog the United States and, to, and show off their prowess? And you know, they, why, why would they want to go? Why would they want to do the moon the way we did the moon? You know. Well, I, I can't imagine wanting to do the moon the way we did, although they've been talking about doing the moon not that different from the way we did it. But right. if, if one were to build an Orion, it seems to me that what one would want would be a um, – uh, would be to build it in orbit yeah. and, and, and then launch it from there. You know, you, you want to have some kind of uh, Earth-to-low-Earth orbit rocket launching going on to create Orion and then actually launch the nukes out in space. That's but, I mean, if you're going to make a big you're, – you're talking a, a huge, huge craft. I mean, you, you would need, who knows, maybe, what, 100 rocket launches to get uh, the material into orbit to, to do that in orbit? Yeah, if you so could, you would have to really have a scalable rocket launch thing going on, which right. would be practical for a lot of other reasons, too, not just for building Orion. It seems right. like that would – uh, that that would be a good way to get. Uh, Couldn't you just see China? Uh, they'll give us a call and say, "Oh, by the way, you know, don't you know, don't get nervous too much when you pick up the nuclear explosion that you're going to that you're going to pick up in Outer Mongolia. Uh, it's not us trying to nuke anybody, or it's not us being nuked. It's uh, us uh, going to uh, going to Saturn and uh, see you. <laughs> I mean, that, that would be pretty astounding. Yeah. Absolutely would. Um, 
uh, although I think I think maybe that's where the bureaucratic mindset of NASA was helpful. That their idea was let's use Saturn V's and we'll build the thing in space. Of course, they scaled it way down. They were going to send it to Mars rather than to uh, to Saturn, yes, Jupiter and, and Saturn. It'd be a smaller so ship, yeah, and it would have been smaller. It wouldn't have been as cool. I mean, yeah, the idea of this rocket the size of the Empire State Building launching from you know somewhere in the U.S. Southwest with with a, just a series of uh, hydrogen bombs blasting it into space is just a it's, it's, it's a great image, that's for sure. It would have made a great science fiction story if it hadn't been something that uh, they were really trying to make happen. That's right. Well, I think that just about does it for this edition of Fast Forward Radio. Tell us about the music we'll be listening to this evening. Well, the band is called Spirit Creek, and uh, the song is That Lie Inside. And uh, you, can, you can get the uh, links to the hi-fi version of this uh, at our website uh, in the show notes. Uh, that's thespeculist.com, our, our blog.speculist.com to get straight to it. And, um, and of course, we'll have uh, links to all the other topics that we talked about tonight. All right. So we'll look forward to being with you all again on the next Fast Forward Radio. Until then, live to see it. Good night.
Are you ready to lose those love handles? Do you work hard to stay in shape and eat healthy, yet you can't get rid of stubborn fat? Now there's a clinically proven way to help you look slimmer without surgery or downtime. It's called Sculpture. Sculpture's innovative procedure destroys fat in just 25 minutes with visible results as quickly as six weeks. Sculpture sounds amazing, right? Check it out for yourself by clicking on the banner or go to goodbyefat.com. 